Thanks, worship team. You may have a seat. And if you are in preschool through grade three, you're dismissed at this time. Have a great Sunday school class. If we've never been before, my name's Rob. My son made my name tag today. Very proud. Um, And if you're new, if you're just joining us, we're finishing up a series on forgiveness. We've spent several weeks talking about kind of the issues of forgiveness, the dimensions of forgiveness, how they uh, relate to God, but how they also relate to our one another relationships. And so we're going to continue that. Uh, And so if I started uh, a sentence with, a long time ago in a land far, far away, I hope you would say, ooh, he's going to tell us a story. Uh, and that's how we're going to finish this series on forgiveness. Now, you received uh, on your chair, you should have received a key. If you didn't, uh, look around you, maybe you're sitting on it. Um, I'm not going to comment on that. Uh, maybe someone next to you took it, and then we could have a talk on stealing, or maybe some child next to you took it. But uh, in this story, there are four keys to understanding this idea of what we're calling living forgiven. Four keys to understanding what it means to live this forgiven life. So I want to start with a story. It's actually found in the Bible. Uh, It says, Once upon a time in a land far, far away, there lived a landowner who had many servants and slaves. Because they had little and he had much, he had an accountant on his staff who was in charge of the landlord's money. And he could loan that money out to his servants and his slaves so they could buy what they needed to buy. Now, most of the workers were paid what was considered a denarius, or one denarius for a day's work. It would probably be the equivalent of uh, maybe $50 for us. And so some servants would give that right back to pay off their debts to the Lord or this master owner. Other days, they'd bring it home, they'd buy what they needed, the food, the clothes, um, the other personal items for their family. Well, one day, the landowner decided to settle up or reconcile accounts. And so he brought in his accountant, and the message spread quickly throughout the village that the landlord was coming to settle up. And one of the men in line was standing there um, sweating a little bit more than the others. He knew he owed a lot. He just couldn't remember how much. And so this landowner or master, as some people call them, had people step forward. They would say their name. They would wait while the accountant flipped through his book, found their name, and then totaled up the amount that he owed and then give it to the master who would then deal with the servant. Well, some of them knew that they owed a lot and so they had a bag of money with them. In fact, some of the bags of money were so large they must have contained 60 to 90 pounds of gold or silver or copper. That was considered what was called a talent. Um, One talent was 60 to 90 pounds of gold or silver or copper in this bag. It was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii, which was the equivalent of about 20 years' worth of work for a day laborer. So some of these people were prepared to pay up they brought their bags of money. But the servant that we're referring to, his hands were empty, except for a little cloth that he wiped his sweaty brow with. And his name was said, and he stepped forward. The accountant flipped through the pages. When he found his name, the accountant made a face that made the servant know he was in a little bit of trouble. Calculation after calculation after calculation after calculation after calculation after calculation. And he handed the number to the master who looked at it 
and exclaim, 10,000 talents? 10,000 talents? That's 60 million denarii. That's going to take you 164,000 years to repay. So, uh, yeah, you know what? That's it, slave. You're going to just be sold. I can get about 5,000 denarii for you. I can get two to 3,000 denarii for your wife. Uh, I don't know how much I'll get for your kids and your possessions. It certainly won't add up to 60 million denarii, but hey, I got to break even somehow. And the guards step forward to take this man in. And just before that, the, the, the servant boldly stepped forward and fell face down on the ground. And he said, Master, please, please, I beg you, be patient with me. I'll repay everything. The master looked shocked. The servants, or the the guards were shocked. Everybody was shocked. And then in this moment, the master's face went from shocked to compassion. And he said, you're never going to be able to repay that. Lifetime after lifetime after lifetime wouldn't repay that. Um, You know what? Consider it jubilee. Uh, I release you from your debt. You're forgiven of it and you may go. I mean, everybody was clapping. There was, there was shouts of hollering. And you would think this servant who had just received a get-out-of-jail-free card, kind of literally, not like Monopoly, um, he should have felt so free. He should have felt so joyous. But as he left, that same servant who was just forgiven went straight out and found one of his fellow servants and said, the master is settling accounts today. You owe me three months worth of salary. You owe me three months worth of wages. And before the servant could even respond, he grabbed him and put him in a four script and was like, pay back what you owe me. Said it like that too. Um, and the servant like broke free of the death grip and he fell down on his face and he said, please, fellow servant, I beg you, be patient with me. I will repay everything I owe. Sound familiar? Uh, But the first servant refused. Instead, he brought him to the village jail, and he threw him in jail, in prison, until he repaid the debt. But many, many of the landowner's servants saw both episodes. And they were grieved. I mean, even people who weren't like feeler types were like, distraught and upset. It felt like giant rainfall. (laughs) Their hearts were pounding like on the glass. And he said, and they went and they told the master everything that had taken place. And so the master sent for servants. He sent for these servants to go find this servant. And he found the servant. He had him brought in and he said, you wicked scoundrel of a servant. I, I forgave everything because you begged me. Should you not have had forgiveness on your fellow servant just as I showed you? And in his anger, he turned the servant over to the prison guards to torture him until he repaid everything he owed. And they all lived happily ever after. Um, Well, actually, they didn't live happily ever after. It's not really a happily ever after story. Can you guys hear me? Yeah? Okay. 
All right, I, I can't hear me, but... But it's not a happily ever after story. In fact, it's a, a story that's a response to Jesus. A response that Jesus made um, when Peter asked a question. Peter was one of his followers. And in Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister, or my fellow Christian, my, this believer of you who sins against me? How many times should I forgive someone like that who sins against me? Should I forgive them up to seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. That's how Jesus opened up the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like us saying, once upon a time in a land far, far away, X, Y, and Z. And in this story, there are four keys to what we say how to live forgiven. There are four keys, and the first one is this. If you like to take notes, we're gonna, it's going to feel a little bit note-takey today. You're like, Rob, you're usually not that linear. I know, but it's okay. Everybody can try something new. The first key to living forgiven is to remember that there's going to be an account. I love, I love Christmas. I have fond memories of Christmas, even last year's Christmas, but I have really fond memories of when my sister and I were little kids, um, not just because we got lots of presents, but because it was one of the few times in the year that my sister and I didn't fight. Um, and and there's a song that kind of went like, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not fight because you won't get any presents. Um, and my parents, like every other year, would threaten, you're not getting any presents because you're treating your sister so horribly. Or sometimes, my sister's treating me so horribly, there wouldn't be any presents. But guess what? Every year, there were presents. Now, I don't know how many of you were threatened that you weren't going to get any presents, but did it ever actually come true? Most of us, most of us get presents, except one of us, it came true for. I can tell. I can see you out there. Um, and I think... A lot of us, even, even some parents who, who love Jesus, they, they, use it as, uh, they use it as like a little theology lesson. You know, you don't deserve any presents, but I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you presents anyway. That's like Jesus dying for you, and I certainly don't mean any disrespect by that. But we expect forgiveness to be like that. When we, when we die and when we go to heaven, some of us have this idea that God's going to say, you know, you had some good years, you had some bad years, um, there was one year, you know, back in 2001 where you didn't even get your mom a Christmas present. But it's okay. I'm full of grace. You get to come in. And some of us think that that's what, what God is going to be like in this idea, in this realm of forgiveness. But, but God is full of grace. He is full of love. He is full of mercy. He is full of forgiveness. He is, can stop the rain from pattering away. Please, God. He is full of truth and he is full of justice. And he won't let debts go unpaid. The Bible over and over and over talks about this idea of judgment or this idea of an account. um, That an almighty God is going to settle accounts. And so some of us think we can bring our deeds up like a bag of money to God's grace and a scale of truth and we can set that bag of money on and it'll be enough like Here's all the good things I've done, and it'll outweigh the bad things I've done. Except, except that's not how the scale works. See, Jesus is like this master storyteller. And so he uses the largest number in the Greek language, which is 10,000, which doesn't seem like really big to us. 
but it would be like a million, billion, trillion, gajillion. So it would be today, for us, it would be like a gajillion something. So he takes the largest number that they would know about, and then he takes the largest amount of weight measurement, which is a talent, which would be like a ton to us. When we, something, when we say something weighs a ton, we're saying it's really, really heavy. So he takes the largest number and the largest weight, and he puts them together. So it's like saying a gajillion tons are on this side of the scale, and you're going to bring your little bag of good deeds and set them on the other side and think it's going to weigh out. But some of us really feel like that's how God works. Um, and so if, if you think uh, there's no way my good deeds can weigh a gajillion tons, that's what his point is. He's trying to say, yes, there's no way it'll weigh out. The writer in Hebrews says it really great in, in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. He says this, um, he says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before him to whom we must give an account. And if that makes your teeth shatter or brings up like judgment from maybe bad church experiences, um, there's an honesty in this accounting. Just like the servants had to come up and they had to, they had to know how much they owed. There's an honesty there. It doesn't have to bring fear because it says, therefore, we have this great high priest or this mediator who ascended to heaven, who is Jesus. So let us hold firmly to the faith we confess. For we don't have a high priest or a mediator who's unable to sympathize or empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, and yet he did not sin. So it says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So if you see a throne of judgment that is a gajillion tons on this side, and you think there's no way this judgment is just too great, then, then maybe you don't know what Jesus has done. But if at the same token, you see this throne um, of grace that will kind of allow anything to go by, then maybe you don't really know God. Um, like the Bible describes them. And so you can send me an email or we can set up a time to chat. You buy the coffee, we'll talk about it. Um, because, because this idea that Jesus is saying, a gajillion tons on this side, and what's going to be on this side? Is it going to be your good deeds? And, and I would say, I hope not, unless you think your good deeds are pretty amazing. Because it's like trying to say, jump across the Grand Canyon. If you're a really, really, really good jumper, you can jump 15 feet into a two-mile-wide crevice. Or if you're just kind of a really not-so-good jumper, you've been a really bad person, you can, like, jump two feet. You're both going to end up at the bottom of the Grand Canyon dead. That's what he's trying to say. So that brings us to our second key, which is that we need to, in order to really embrace this life of live and forgiven, that we need to embrace or we need to remember what God has done for us. Because Jesus stepped on that scale to outweigh the gajillion tons. Because he lived this perfect life, he paid for those sins. He takes away those sins. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see someone who's a sinner. He doesn't see someone who's done tons of bad things. He sees the, the Son of God. He sees Jesus in our place. And God chooses not to remember the bad things we've done. That's good news. The gajillion tons all of a sudden come off the scale and Jesus steps in and sits there. 
And God has poured out in the same way he's poured out his grace and his forgiveness on us like over and over and over. It would be like taking pitchers of water and walking up to Duluth and pouring them into a a giant bowl that's known as Lake Superior. That's a lot of water. And when we remember what God has done for us, it's like he's, he's forgiven us that much. He's forgiven us like Lake Lake Superior. But then somebody comes into our lives and they, they take a little cup, smaller than this usually, and they say, can I have some water? And what they're saying is, would you forgive me for that offense? And three months wage, like our story says, it's not a small amount, but it's recoverable. So we say, we forgive me. And when we see that offense um, as something really big, it's really hard for us to forgive. So maybe it, maybe it looks like this. Um, from our point of view, when someone hurts us or sins uh, against us or wrongs us, we kind of think of it from the distance between Minneapolis to Chicago. If you've ever walked Minneapolis to Chicago, I, I have one friend who has, it's kind of a long way. Even if you drive Minneapolis to Chicago, it's still going to take like, you know, I don't know, six, seven hours unless you speed, which then you're going to get pulled over and then you're going to have to pay Wisconsin fine right there and it's going to take longer anyway. But that's kind of what we think of when someone wrongs us. Is, it is the distance between Minneapolis to Chicago. Do you realize how far that is? But when we remember what God has done for us, it's like he zooms out. And he doesn't just zoom out to like the United States. In fact, he doesn't even zoom out to like the satellite. <clears throat> so that's okay. I think we can go backwards. There we go. It's not even like he zooms out to here. For God, it's like he zooms out to the distance of the sun. So now how far is Minneapolis to Chicago when you put it in light of the sun? You know, now it's, it's like saying, you have this huge body of water known as Lake Superior, and someone is walking up to you saying, will you forgive me? And all they want is a dip of that cup of forgiveness. That's what Jesus is trying to say when he says, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you. And so when we remember that, it's not that the offense doesn't matter. It's not that the distance between Minneapolis and Chicago isn't a distance. It's just that in light of what God has done for us, should we really withhold it? It's a fraction of grace. Which brings us to our third key of living forgiven, which is that we hold it. Verse 33, the, the story that I shared from Matthew 18 um, the landowner brings in this guy who has been withholding the forgiveness or kind of went after somebody else and he said, isn't it necessary? Isn't it necessary for you to forgive? Isn't it necessary for you to show mercy? And then in his anger, he sent the man to prison to be tortured and until he had paid the entire debt. And as much as we'd want verse 35, the next verse to be removed from the story, it's not. Jesus says, that's what my heavenly Father will do for you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. I mean, the disciples got that this was necessary. That's, that's why Peter wanted to ask the question. He wasn't asking it arrogantly. He wasn't asking it in a, a self-righteous way. He was asking it honestly. He went to Jesus and he said, okay, I get this. We're supposed to forgive. So how many times, Jesus? Like, And, and he could have said three times because other rabbis said three times, but but he says, seven times? Is that enough? And now, now Jesus had just talked about 
how we're to reconcile with others. And so if you misinterpret this, it could sound like three times. Um, In Matthew 18, verse 15, it says, If someone who's a fellow believer sins against you, then you should go to them alone and show them the fault. And then if they confess, then, then you're made right with each other. But if they don't confess, then take somebody else. Take two or three witnesses to prove it. And if that doesn't work, um, and if it does work, you've won them back. But if it doesn't work, then bring it to the assembly, to the gathered people. But then if that doesn't work, then they're out. That's how some people interpret these verses right here. But I would submit to you that this is really about reconciliation. This is really about trying to make things right between two people. And so it's not one, two, three strikes, you're out, but it's you go to that person, and if it's made right, you've reconciled. And now nobody has to know, and it's beautiful. And if if that doesn't work, then you bring somebody else, and if it's made right, then you've reconciled, and it's beautiful. And if that doesn't work, then you go again, and if they make it right, now it's reconciled, and it's good. And if they say... Ask for forgiveness again and again and again. That's what Peter's trying to say. So, so if they confess and they repent or they say, I'm sorry, are we supposed to just continue to do that? And Jesus says, yeah, you are. He says, not, not up to seven times, but 77 times. Now, I used to be a math teacher, and so some of the translations say 70 times seven. And I used to think, Sweet, it must be 70 times 7 because that's 490 and 490 is better than 77. That's way bigger, so it must be 490. That's what the Jesus was trying to say and I've like told great stories about 490, but it's actually probably not what he said because if you look at the original language and you look what he was saying, he was actually tapping into this idea that's only found in one other place in the Bible. So if, if you're like kind of, you love the Bible and you love to find new things, then this is for you. And if this is like, you're like, where's he going? You know, you can just take a little break for a second. Um, 77 is only written in one other place, and that's in Genesis 4.24. This is the only other place it's written. And so ev- most scholars believe that this is what he was referring to. When he says this, the story here. In Genesis 4, Genesis 1 and 2, God created, everything was good. Genesis 3, um, people sinned, Adam and Eve made mistakes, it was bad. And then Genesis 4 to Genesis 11 talks about kind of the spread of sin, how it went from bad to really bad. And so in the midst of this, this guy named Lamech, who's a great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Cain, probably the first guy to take two wives because it's especially noted there, um, is in this fit of rage because someone has wronged him. And he says, if Cain has been avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And he is like arrogantly saying, you know what, if Cain took revenge, which he did, Cain was this brother of Abel, and in his madness, he killed his brother. He's saying, if, if Cain can avenge that much, guess what, I'm going to avenge 77 times that much. And, and what Jesus, I think, is saying is that it's not a matter of if it's seven times or 77 times or 490 times. I think what he's saying is that that our idea of forgiveness needs to be as exaggerated, needs to be as, as extravagant as the same idea of Lamech being revengeful. As Lamech was saying, getting really upset and being aggressive to avenge, I think Jesus is saying we need to be that aggressive to forgive. The point isn't to count it up. The point isn't to go one, two, three, four, seven, you're done. 
or 77, 76, 77, you're done, or 479, um, 489, 90, you're done. The, the point is, if we're counting, then really, I think what we're doing is we're postponing revenge. That if really we're keeping track, that it's more about getting revenge than it is about forgiving. Our willingness to forgive should be limitless. Now that doesn't mean, and some of you have heard this throughout the weeks, but that does not mean that limitless forgiveness means limitless abuse. That we can have limitless ongoing forgiveness and it does not exclude responsibility, confession, justice, or restitution. There is a justice from God that we can hold in one hand and yet we can offer forgiveness in the other. The two do not have to be exclusive. Could we be hurt again? Yeah, we could. We could. And some of you are like holding on to your forgiveness and you're trying to decide, is it worth it to really let this go? Because what if it happens again? Yeah, it might happen again. Jesus isn't saying you'll never be hurt again, but he is saying that he gives us the power to overcome. And that's this idea of living forgiven. Then if we're still kind of worried and scared, we can remember the fourth key. Not only do we hold it, but when we withhold it, we're the ones who end locked up. We're the ones who end up locked up. In the story, the guy who was forgiven extravagantly, who then goes to try and take somebody else down, he's the one who ends up in prison. Some of us want, really want forgiveness to be like Christmas. But the key I figured out to this um, is that forgiveness needs to be more like breathing. Forgiveness needs to be more like the air that goes into our lungs. I, um, I used to teach swimming. I used to coach swimming, and so I'm taking my kids through swimming lessons. It's like daddy swim lessons, and if they go eight times and they don't talk back, they get a treat or something. It saves us money in the long run. So we're teaching them the front crawl. And in the front crawl, it's really important that you breathe on the side. And so you come up and you breathe and you go down. Well, I know not only to breathe on both sides, but also to blow the air out underwater. But my kids can't really figure that out yet. So they like take about six strokes and all of a sudden they come up. Dad, it's too hard. And then I tell them, no, you got to breathe on your side. And so they try it and they they come out and they do this big breath out and then they suck in a bunch of water because they're already coming back down. And I've tried to explain to them, you have to, I promise there's a point, you have to blow out underwater in order to have time to breathe in. If you don't blow out underwater, you'll never get that breath in. That's what forgiveness, I think Jesus is kind of saying it this way. He's saying that there's only so much you can take in. You breathe. And if you don't exhale, you can't take another breath in. There's only so much you can take in. And if you don't open up your heart or open up your lungs to breathe out, to forgive others, your heart won't be open to receive God's forgiveness. That's what this idea of those who withhold forgiveness end up locked up. It's like trying to take that breath in and just kind of hold it and think, I, I just got to take in God's forgiveness, but I can't, I can't exhale. I can't give any of that forgiveness over. So as you think about your life and you think about 
What does it mean for me to, to live this forgiven life? Are you thinking of it like breathing? Are you inhaling God's forgiveness? He says over and over and over, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Even um, just five weeks ago, we celebrated the, the Christ event, the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And, and even at the last moment, even this, this thief who was dying next to him, who lived this life of wrong, says, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. Now, we don't, we don't know the guy's heart, but that's true of most of us. We don't know the people that we see. We don't really, most of the time, know their heart. But Jesus did, and he says, today, I promise you'll be with me in paradise, and he forgives. He gives this key to this man who just simply exhaled and asked for forgiveness. And that's, that's what each of us, that's what I want for each of us. That's what I want for my own life. And this idea of breathing has made it really come to life this week of, of what does it mean to take in God's forgiveness every day and then, and then share that with others. And you know what I found out? I found out I was a lot happier. I found out that I lived with way more joy this week when I, when I really started to, to dive into this idea of, of breathing and living forgiven. That if I can share that with more people, not, not on my own, not out of saying like, oh, I think you need Jesus, but just out of an understanding of what Christ has done for me and what he's done for us. That I lift with joy. I lived like I had little air in my shoes or something. And it's consistent with what we looked at with Matthew chapter 6. It's not a threat. It's just an understanding of how, how open is our heart. If we forgive people when they sin against us, then God forgives us. But if our hearts close, then, then God's not going to be able to get that breath in, to get that forgiveness in. And I want us to have that joy. I want us to walk around, and, and I don't mean this tritely, but it's, I think it's kind of true. I want us to walk around like we got to get out of hell free card. But it's not free like cheap. It's free because, because Christ paid for it, and he offers it to us. And we can walk around knowing that we're released if forgiveness is still something that, that is challenging to you um, or you want to explore it more, uh, we'll probably have a life group go through that at some point. So, um, so give us a call or send us an email and say, you know what, I really need to explore this further. Um, we're going to go into a moment of prayer and praise right now. And I just encourage you to take time away from the people around you and just ask God, am I really breathing in your forgiveness, God? Am I withholding it in some way? Do I think that it's something that I can't grasp or do I realize that, that I have the key because Christ gave it to me, because Christ offered that forgiveness? And Christ says, whatever we lock up on earth will be locked up in heaven and whatever we free on earth will be freed in heaven. So God, give us Give us discernment into our lives. Holy Spirit, speak to our lives right now about what this story teaches us about living forgiven. Help us who've accepted that to walk around with joy and help those of us who are still putting ourselves on that scale that, that we never seem to be good enough for to bring those burdens to the cross and to be freed of that. That's our prayer, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
into the marvelous light of Jesus. May you walk into the forgiveness that Jesus gives and may you walk into the newness that he brings because God's mercies are new every morning. If you need prayer, please come up and pray with somebody and have a great week.